Good morning. Good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word this morning, open it to Galatians chapter 5. We'll read starting in verse 15. Galatians 5 and verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do or practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and ask that you would continue to bless our time of worship as we open your word and as I preach your word, Lord, I pray that you would guard your people from anything false that I may say as I'm a fallible man. May your word stand true as it is infallible and inerrant and may the Holy Spirit take your word and convince us of biblical truth. We thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning. We pray for those who couldn't be here this morning, some who are not feeling well and some who are traveling. We pray that you would bless them, Lord, and help them to even now know uh, how much they are missed by their church family. We pray that you would continue to bless us as a church, help us to continue to be united in the bonds of Christ, that our hearts would be knit together um, in Jesus, Lord, that we would grow uh, deeper in our relationships with you and deeper in our relationships with one another, and that we would bear one another's burdens as you have called us to do. We pray that you would bless us now, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So I want to pick up where we left off last Sunday in, in talking about our, our battle to walk by the Spirit. Paul contrasts these two works of the flesh and walking by the Spirit. One we've said and looked at is self-centered, right? It's motivated by self, selfish desires. It uses up relationships for self. One is motivated by the glory of God, the fruits of the Spirit, and it is the, uh, motivated by a love for the Lord and a love for others. It is pour, serving one another and pouring our life into others to build them up, 
and that builds us up. Um, and so I want us to continue to look at this because our battle to walk by the Spirit involves striking sin at the root. It, it involves striking sin at the root. You'll remember where I stopped last week was part of the war against sin is your thoughts, is your, your thoughts about sin. And this is twofold, I believe. Number one, what you think about the opportunity in the moments of temptation is what will motivate your behavior. What you think about the opportunity, right, the opportunity that's being presented to you, what you think about the opportunity in the moments of temptation is what will motivate your behavior. What do I mean by that statement is this. In the moment of temptation, you will either believe God does know, you will either believe God does know what is best about the opportunity and that his commands are best for you and his commands will bring you sustained joy or you will believe that God does not know what is best for you and for true joy to be experienced. And so you need to take things into your own hands and that disobedience to God in the moment is actually what will bring you joy. Now, here's the thing. Those thoughts can happen like that, right? All, all the more, I mean, the, the, the longer I'm a Christian, the more I appreciate James' words, be slow to speak, but also be slow to act, um, being, being cautiously slow in our decisions and in our words and in our behavior um, because that's literally what happens in the moment that we either resist temptation or we give in. It just happens really fast. We're either believing that God knows what's best for me and that his commands are what's best for me and that they are actually what will bring me sustained joy or we believe that God really doesn't know what's best for me and really what God needs is my counsel in this situation. And so for me to, to obtain what's best for me, I need to take things into my own hands. That's really what it boils down to. And so we have a choice to make. We can either worship God through faith and obedience, or we can worship self and the world through disbelief and disobedience to God. That's really what it boils down to. In the moment of temptation, we can either worship God through faith and obedience, or we can worship self and the world through dis disbelief and disobedience to God. So that's... that's kind of one of the things that we that matters, right? That's foundational, and it's at the root of us resisting temptation or giving in to temptation. What we think about the opportunity when it, presents our, when it presents itself to tempt us. Number two, and this is where I want to spend more time, is what you think about sin after you lose or win the battle against the temptation will also motivate your reaction. Because in the Christian life, we, we realize and we confess that we are, we are imperfect sinners, right? In Christ, we are sinners. Um, we will not obtain the perfection until we leave this body, right? Till we're in the presence of Christ. 
And so it's important for us not only to understand what God's called us to in the first step, but also when, what is the reaction to sin? What is our reaction to sin? Whether we win or lose the battle, if we are under a law mindset, if we lose the battle, if we are under a law mindset, we will conceal, we'll seek to conceal the sin from God by convincing ourselves it's not really sin. If you've been a Christian for very long, you've done this. We're really good at being defense attorneys for ourselves and, and seeking to justify our sinful behavior that it's really not sin. I mean, if so-and-so wouldn't have said that to me, I would have never said that back. And because they said that to me, well, I had to, I had to correct them. Right, God? I mean, that's, we, we may not say it exactly like that, but that's what's running through our minds and hearts in order for us to defend ourselves against the conviction of sin. We'll conceal the sin by convincing ourselves it's not really sin or that God doesn't really care about my sin. And this thinking is motivated by pride. It's the very mindset that motivated Adam and Eve to hide in the garden after they fell. They don't want to admit that they've done wrong, right? How, how often, don't, don't raise your hands, but how often do we not want to admit that we're in sin? And how long it takes for the Holy Spirit sometimes to break down the defense attorney in our own heart for us to actually admit that we're in sin. It's the very mindset, this is the very mindset that keeps people from running to Christ and finding forgiveness and reconciliation in his arms. It's a tragic response and it leads to misery. If we are under a gospel mindset, for Christians... If we're honest, there are seasons of us being under the law mindset when we're in sin. But when we come under a gospel mindset, the Spirit leads us to godly sorrow and repentance. The Spirit leads us, praise the Lord, right, that, the, that God is the good shepherd and that our sin doesn't cause us to be exiled from the new covenant. And the Holy Spirit stays with us and leads us to godly sorrow and repentance running to God instead of from God. It's important for us to understand that. Like if, if, the defense, if we've sinned and the defense attorney is active, we are not running to God with our sin. We're not running to God with our sin. And we'll never be able to put it to death if we're in denial of our own sin. We should be running to God Understanding our full and forever standing in Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. It's not just a one-time forgiveness, right? It's not, hey, here are your plates clean, now it's up to you. And so every, every time a Christian falls into temptation, we don't have to hide our sin or run from God. He wants us to run to him. Why? Because our sins are forgiven in Christ. We haven't lost our, our adoption papers. We haven't been exiled. And we need to understand that. that. We need to understand that God has granted us full access to his grace and his mercy in Jesus. 
We need to long and to feel and experience what we have positionally. This is being under a gospel mindset. Another truth that aids us in our walking by the Spirit. So first, what we think about sin in the moment of temptation, what we think about sin when we've fallen into, after we've fallen into temptation, but also, and I, I believe this is, this is critical, I, I think that we need to learn how to properly repent of sin. I think that this is, I think this has been lost somewhat in, in the church. We need to learn how to properly repent of sin. Repentance is not just confessing and asking forgiveness and then next. And, and we don't dwell on the guilt of it either. Don't, don't hear me wrong on this. Like, we don't, repentance isn't like dwelling on the guilt of our sin like we're groaning ourselves into asceticism, right? We don't, we don't go off into a room and take a whip to our backs and bad boy, you know? That's not what repentance is. It's been made to be that, but it is not that. We confess our sin to the Lord. We ask that we might know and feel the forgiveness that we already have in Christ. The forgiveness is there. It's already been granted in Christ, but the problem is, is we're not feeling it, right? When we give in to temptation and we sin, we're not feeling the forgiveness that we have in Jesus, and so we should long to feel that forgiveness, and that takes us to God. And so we confess our sin to the Lord we ask that we might know and feel the forgiveness that we already have in Christ. We praise the Lord for the gospel. We praise the Lord for the new covenant, which we cannot fall out of. We praise the Lord for his Holy Spirit that seals us and leads us in our confession and repentance. We pray that God would grant us repentance. But I think, and that's kind of the list that we probably go through or hopefully go through. But I think we forget about something too often. And, and, and here's what it is. We're, we're real good at bringing the outward behavior to the table of repentance. We're real good at that. But a missing element in our repentance of sin is the examination of our inward motives. And I think this is important. I think it, it is a, a critical element of repentance that's missing in at least the majority of Christianity in America. What I mean is we rarely examine what the underlying idol is that we were chasing. We rarely examine that. The idol that caused the expression of sinful behavior, right? So, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm you know we, can, we can be really good at, hey, Lord, I mean, forgive me for that burst of anger, right? Forgive me, forgive me for that burst of anger. I, I shouldn't be an angry person or whatever, whatever the sin is. The outward behavior is what, where we, we to, to, our, uh, to our fault, if you will, that's, that's usually... 
where we stop. We stop at the external behavior. And, and I don't, you know, I mean, maybe it's because the external behavior is what's seen. But we need to examine what the underlying idol is that we're chasing. And I'm going to speak, that's kind of the bulk of what I want to speak about this morning. What is the idol that caused the expression of the sinful behavior? And, and you know, only, only a, the person sinning can know that. Like John Calvin said, our hearts are idol factories. They're just pumping out different idols all the time. And so the idol in this moment may be different from the idol 10 minutes from now. But when we sin, there's always an idol that we're chasing. There's always a belief that is before an expression of behavior. Sin is behavior. Don't get me wrong. Sin is behavior, but there is always a false belief that drives sinful behavior. Always. And when we are short-sighted in our repentance, and this, this is, I think this is rampant, when we are short-sighted in our repentance, we think the answer is isolation. We think that we, we, we want to blame, and here's the thing, we want to blame circumstances on our sin, for our sinful behavior. That's what we want to do. So if I can just remove myself from temptation, then I'll be okay. Man, if I can just be, if I can just get into the closet and avoid all of the world, then I'll be okay. But the problem is you're putting yourself in the closet with your biggest problem. And that's your own heart. And so many Christians through the ages have fallen into this sort of monastic living. And I'm not talking about an actual monastery. I'm talking about withdraw from the world and everything that isn't completely necessary to live because the world might contaminate me. But that's not sanctification. It's isolation, but it's not sanctification. There's no true isolation from temptation. And I'm not saying that there's never a time to remove yourself from a specific temptation. That's not what I'm saying. But there is a mindset that, that gets into Christians that if I, can just, if I can just remove myself from all of this somehow, that I'll be okay. But you won't. Because your biggest problem isn't your circumstances. Your biggest problem is you. Jesus said, out of the heart, right? Out of the heart comes murder and hatred, and enmity, and strife. It's in you. And so our greatest enemy is the remaining flesh. And the goal of sanctification is not, is not to remove yourself from all temptations, because that would be to take yourself out of the world. And Jesus prayed that that wouldn't happen. In John 17, 15, in the great high priestly prayer, Jesus said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. 
We're still here because God has purposes for us to glorify him in reaching the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it starts with our neighbors and our coworkers and the people that God has placed in our life. We're not to withdraw from that. We're to look at it as opportunities to glorify God. And so Jesus prays that we're not taken out of the world, but that we're kept from the evil one. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Right? There's a mission field. And I'm not saying stay away from them. But I think too often as Christians, we fall into that mindset. The goal of sanctification is to, is, is to love Jesus more than the, than the temptation to sin. That's the goal of, of sanctification. To love Jesus and to delight in him more than whatever's tempting you to think that it's more delightful than Jesus. That's sanctification. To delight in God more than counterfeit gods. That's the goal of sanctification. And so, to get through the temptation without giving into it. Because we can't remove ourselves from temptation. And we do that by resting and delighting in God more than the temptation. Or the idol behind the temptation. So I want to I lay out some practical principles, and, and I'm just going to give a few examples here for time's sake. I want to lay out some practical principles regarding how to get to the root of our sin, because I believe that that's real repentance. What, repentance is saying, hey, what I was thinking that caused this behavior was wrong, and I need to change my thinking. But too often our repentance is, is about the expression the behavior, and we're not getting back to the root that's the idol that we're chasing. Now, here's, here's what I want to caution us. We naturally either lean towards no tolerance for examination or obsession with examination. No tolerance for examination leads us to indifference to sin You'll take sin too lightly. You'll pride yourself in your ability to not be bothered by it. And yet, obsession with examination causes introspection to be your daily meditation. And your hope will become your ability to examine. So I want to caution us on that. We need to understand that Scripture calls us to examine ourselves. It calls us to examine ourselves. It calls us to examine our motives. It calls us to look at why we're behaving the way we're behaving. But it also calls us to delight and meditate on Jesus. Right? To meditate upon him. And so examination is to be done with the aim of resting 
in God. Examination is to always is always for the purpose of driving us back to the ultimate satisfaction we have in Jesus. So in other words, sanctification, and this is important, sanctification is the battle to rest in God. To rest in God. So the purpose of examination is to lead us away from resting in self or something other than God and back to resting in God. So the constant temptation, no matter the sin, is this. Paul says it in Romans 1.25. This is the temptation. The, the temptation is for us to exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. That's, that's the temptation. As Christians, our desire and pursuit is to hold on to the truth about God and worship him rather than self. Because we are tempted to think that we cannot be happy without fill in the blank. We're tempted to think that we can't be, have fulfillment without fill in the blank. And so when we, when we give in to that temptation to think that I can't be happy without A, and A's not God, I'm exchanging the truth for a lie. And I'm now in a mode of worshiping creation rather than the creator. I'm in a mode of worshiping the gift rather than the giver. And so it becomes more important to us than God. And so the pathway of sanctification is delighting in God. And resisting, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, the lies that seek or the ideologies that seek to exalt themselves above God. The way to get there is to know what the tempting sinful idol is. Remember, repentance is more than the, the expressed behavior. Repentance, true repentance is get, trying to get to the root of why you behave that way. Is the idol control? You ever fall prey to that one? I'll, I'll be honest. I, do, I have. Pleasure? Is that the idol? Is the idol comfort? Prestige, how we're perceived by others. David Pallison gives us a helpful list of statements that lead to our idols. And by the way, if you've never read his paper called um, Idols of the Heart and Vanity Fair, I would highly recommend that paper to you by David Pallison. He says this, I sin because, and he gives five statements, I sin because I want fill in the blank, I fear, fill in the blank, I need, fill in the blank, and I expect, fill in the blank, four, excuse me. I want something, I fear something, I need something, I expect something. He says, fill in the blanks and you've named the nasty God substitute that fires up a bad attitude. Because if you want something 
and something gets in your way of obtaining it, that's when sinful behavior expresses itself. Now, the underlying problem is that you want something other than God. But it, but it shows itself in sinful behavior when something stands in our way to getting it. Or I fear something maybe being taken away from me. Or I need this to happen. Or I expect this of you, and you let me down. How dare you? Right? And then we lash out at that person because they didn't meet the expectations that we laid upon them. And we become, when we, when we uh, fill these blanks with something other than God, these nasty God substitutes, we be, get a bad attitude and we become mastered by my kingdom come and my will be done rather than God's. So let me give you a few examples. For example, we, we would not lie. We would not lie unless the perceived end result of dishonesty had not become more important to us than God. I would not lie unless I think that what you think about me because I lie is more important than God. That's why we lie. We, we think self-image is better than the truth, and therefore we think self-image is more important than God because we're disobeying God in order to maintain self-image or whatever we're lying for, to keep something. Maybe I'm lying to keep something. Is that yours? Yes, it's not, but I want to keep it. So I'm lying because the end goal is for me to keep this thing because this thing has become more important to me than God. The, the perceived end result of dishonesty, dishonesty could be I need human approval, I need reputation, I need power over others, I need financial advantage, and the list goes on. Those types of end results become more important and valuable to our hearts than the grace and favor of God. And the secret to change is to identify and dismantle the idols of your heart. Because, and I kind of pick on anger because I think everyone maybe battles with that some way or another. And it's, it's, it's an easy example, I guess. Um, but if, if, if I just see what, if I don't see the idol behind my anger, then there's just going to be something else that causes me to, I can put myself like, okay, I'm not going to get myself into this context anymore. But it's not the context that caused the anger. It's the idol. Okay? And if I'm not rooting out the idol, the next circumstance that I get into is going to allow me to behave in an in a anger, ang, angry way, right? An angry way or, or a temper. So why did, why did I lose my temper? Or more biblically stated, why did I express the anger of man which does not produce the righteousness of man, or of God? Because I had expectations on the situation. I needed something, right? I wanted something. I fear something. I desire something. 
I had expectations on the situation. And the situation didn't go according to my expectations. And so my expectations were let down. And I lashed out at all those who influenced the situation to not go according to my expectations. You ever do that? And so I, I'm, com I'm coming to a certain situation and I have expectations on this situation and all of a sudden this situation doesn't go the way I expected the situation to go and the way that I needed that situation to go. And so now I'm angry at whatever caused that situation to go awry. And that's expressed through maybe anger at whatever caused the situation to not go my way. Does that make sense? And so now the outward behavior that we're good at bringing to the table of repentance actually goes deeper than just the outward expression. And in this case, it could be motivated by a desire to control the outcome of the situation, or it could be desired... It could be that I desired to come home and kick back in my, in my recliner and just relax for a little bit. And these little ones kept that from happening, right? And all I wanted to do is just get home and chill out just for a little bit. And yeah, 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 that isn't happening. And now all of a sudden I'm angry and I'm lashing out at my kids because I wanted something and they're keeping me from having it. It's not just the lashing out that needs to be repented of. It's that I took a circumstance that God is completely in control of, and I said, God, you, you don't really know how to be God in this situation. I think I ought to be. I think you ought to give the throne to me for a little bit so that I can have that comfort that I was desiring. And what I'm doing is I'm taking a circumstance in which God is allowing me to express worship of him and trust in him, and I'm completely making it about me. And idolatry in my heart is being manifest by outward behavior. And so I need to be reminded that the biblical truth is that God is the only one in control and that his plan for my life is being revealed before my very eyes. God was not surprised by the chaos that I just walked into. What God did was give me an opportunity to worship him through chaos, and I chose to sin. He gave me an opportunity for me to worship him by submitting to his revealed will and worship him in that situation through obedience. And so the real object of repentance in this specific scenario should be my sinful desire to be God and control life. A somewhat different way to go than anger towards the same situation is despair. Despair. Kind of, the, kind of the opposite of anger, but still a response 
a sinful response to the same circumstance. Both anger and despair are responses to the disappointment of the circumstances. Both are disappointed in the moment that God is in control and not you. Despair just doesn't explode outwardly like anger. It retreats inwardly. But it is no less disappointed in God's providence than anger is. And I would say this, it's interesting to look through history and see what's more accepted in culture, right? Despair in our culture is more accepted than outbursts of anger in our, in our current cultural climate. But it is no less sinful. It's, it's no less idolatry. When confronted to burst out in anger, ask yourself, is there something here that I'm allowing too much importance? Right? Be slow to speak. Be slow to behave or react. And instead, ask yourself, I'm being tempted by this. What what am I giving too much importance here? What, what 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 am I tempted to put on the throne that only God deserves? What am I about to worship that doesn't deserve my worship? What am I believing? What am I believing I must have at all costs? When in despair or fearful, ask yourself, am I doubting God's goodness because something in my life is being threatened that I think is a necessity when it's not? In both scenarios, preach the gospel to yourself. Because here's the reality. God's in control, and all that you truly need, you have in Jesus Christ. God has provided all that you need in Jesus. God is in control and is the perfect shepherd. If you knew what God knows, you would trust his good hand of providence. If we knew what God knows, we would trust his good hand of providence. Remember that God will take these circumstances and he will will use them for your good and his glory. And then pray that God will help you pursue the circumstances according to what God delights in. So in other words, it's a, it's a resisting the temptation to exchange the truth for a lie. It's resisting the temptation to find rest or value or your satisfaction or your fulfillment in something other than God. And so it's it's, it's us training our hearts to recognize these things and then preach the gospel to ourselves so that we can aim our eyes back on Christ, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, 
to remind ourselves that everything we need, we have in him. To remind ourselves that our security is not in anything in this world because it's all going away. Our security is in the immutable character and promises of God in Jesus Christ. And let's not give into counterfeits offered by the world and desired by the flesh. So the question, the most basic question of examination is this. Has something or someone besides Jesus Christ taken title to your heart's trust, preoccupation, loyalty, service, fear, and delight? Because if we're not asking that question, we're putting a Band-Aid on cancer. If we're just bringing the external behavior, we're not, we're not getting to the root of sin. Has something or someone besides Jesus Christ taken title to your heart's trust, your heart's preoccupation, your heart's loyalty, your heart's service, your heart's fear, and your heart's delight? And let's seek to do what the Apostle Paul calls us to do, and that is to put sin to death. Amen? To put real sin to death, not just the external behavior, but to get, try to get to the, to the heart of the matter and take issues to the heart and, and take our prayers to those issues of the heart to God and say, God, this is the, this is the idol that I'm seeing in my life, and I need the Spirit of God to help me root this idol out and help me to be slow to speak and slow to react and slow to behave so that I can contemplate these things before I do or say. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, we, I pray that, that this sermon on examination has not dampered our delighting in the person and finished work of Jesus, but has, I pray, helped us to be able to recognize not delighting in him, not delighting in you, not resting in you, to be able to spot it sooner, to spot it deeper so that we can root it out. Instead of just pulling the leaves off of a weed, we grab it by the root and pull it out of the ground so that we can sustain longer and more fervently a delighting in Jesus Christ so that we can spot weeds sooner, pull them out by the root. It is sin that seeks to steal our joy, even though sin promises it. It never gives joy. It only steals joy. So, Lord, I pray that you would take these words and I pray that you would just help us to understand these truths and, and to truly uh, root out sin, which is causing us to seek to delight and rest in something other than you. And there is nothing that is more satisfying and more delightful and more pleasant than resting in the God of our salvation. And we ask that you would take these truths and, and pour them into our hearts and minds and help us, Lord, rejoice this morning in Jesus Christ. 
though despite our sinfulness, we are kept in the new covenant because of him. And you are the good shepherd, and you apply balm to our wounds, and you fix our eyes, you turn our face back to your smile. We have that smile because of Jesus, and we thank you for it, and we pray it in his name. Amen.